everyone and welcome back to the spooky corner i'm not the your horror movie lover but for this movie i am i'm gonna be the scholar rock because i'm not she creative took mine. and there's so much she just violence. took mine oh you just that was yours i am <laughs> so mad okay i went to the museum and we saw a bunch of lucky rocks. Like these were Chinese lucky rocks that they like presented to the emperor though. And I was telling my friend about all the lucky rocks. And then we ended mm-hmm. up like naming all of the lucky rocks. <laughs> so what was so the best together, one? They are a rock band. One of them is rock hard apps. <laughs> the other one is rock star. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is like Love a it. metal cast of a rock. So it's not a real rock. So we decided it was the groupie. <laughs> That's the rock poser. Oh my gosh. That's so sad. Why? I think the the people in the museum have like they they saw us and they're naming the rocks and then they just they didn't come in. They waited until we left before they came into the rock room. <laughs> oh man. I'm just thinking about like the museum curator that was like, ah fuck. We don't have enough rocks. These guys are weird. What if we use a cast of a rock? <laughs> Stop. Um, all right. So sorry, I stole yours, but what are you for this? I'm movie, also Z? the rock, obviously. We're oh, you're also the, the rock. rock. <laughs> um that makes just makes me think of fucking Dwayne the Rock Johnson. That's great. <laughs> That's wonderful. The, the final, final rock. rock. It's okay. We're gonna have to yeah. have a rock showdown or whatever to figure out who the real rock is. A, a rock down? down? I like it. Well, he's down for a rock down. Yeah, I like rocks. I think they're pretty neat. Them, so yeah, you'd be very yeah. Exactly. She's a formidable yeah. opponent in this in this sphere. My only skills include climbing rocks and then falling badly from them, and that's it. <laughs> and consequently, getting injured from. That's okay. Them. It's okay. That's, that's it. still a skill. That's still a skill. Yeah. <laughs> I wish it wasn't. I wish it wasn't dun, a dun, skill. Dumb. <laughs> All right, so we're both a scholar rock, which means, dear audience, that this uh, episode we'll be talking about the movie Parasite. So a little bit of a twist, since Parasite is a black comedy South Korean film from 2019 that was directed by Bong Joon-ho, who actually co-wrote the screenplay with his friend Han Jin-won. So sorry, by the way, if I completely butchered that. But this film premiered in the 2019 Cannes Film Festival back in May, where it became the first South Korean film to play- win the Palme d'Or, Palme which, d'Or. Uh, yeah. yeah, very fancy, very fancy schmancy uh, film festival that goes on. The film is considered by many critics to be one of the best films of 2019 and one of the greatest films of the 21st century, which I would definitely agree with. It grossed over $263 million worldwide on a budget of $15.5 million. And among its numerous accolades, Parasite won a leading four awards at the 92nd Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and the Best International Feature Film, becoming one of the first non-English language films to win the Academy Award for Best Picture, which is a little upsetting that that happened in 2019, but I digress. At least it happened. <sighs> I guess. Wah, At wah, least it, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give him a, like, a little golf clap for that. 
So Parasite is the first South Korean film to receive this Academy Award recognition among being one of the one of three films to ever win both the Palme d'Or and the Academy Award for Best Picture, something that hasn't been achieved in over 60 years. Yay! So what is the plot of Parasite? Well, the Kim family, the father, Ki-tek, the mother, Chung-suk, the daughter, Ki-jung, and the son, Ki-woo, live in a small semi-basement apartment in Seoul, have low-paying temporary jobs, and struggle to make ends meet. University student Minhyuk, a friend of Kiwoo's, gives the family a scholar's rock meant to promise wealth. As Minhyuk is leaving to study abroad and knows that Kiwoo needs the income, he suggests that Kiwoo pose as a university student to take over his job as an English tutor for the daughter of the wealthy Park family. Kiwu pretends to be a Yonsei University student and is hired by the Parks. The Kim family schemes to get each member of the family a job by posing as unrelated yet highly qualified workers to become servants of the Parks. Ki Jung poses as Jessica and becomes an art therapist to the Parks' young son, Da Song. Ki Tech becomes Mr. Parks' chauffeur after framing the previous driver for. I guess, sexual madness, uh, yeah. <laughs> inappropriate behavior, we'll call it that. And Chung Suk takes over as the park's housekeeper after the Kims exploit an allergy of the previous housekeeper, Moon Gwang. When the parks leave on a camping trip, Moon Gwang, whose name I'm very much going to butcher, abruptly appears at the door telling Chung Suk that she left something in the basement. She enters a hidden entrance to a secret underground bunker created by the original architect, where her husband, Ginsei? I'm going to translate Okay, thank you. Let's just, I'm going to translate all the names real quick, actually, just to double check. I think it's Ginsei, but like. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me put it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I can wait. Ginsei. 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 Yeah, it's. So it's it's that like G and the K in Korean, which sometimes Kyunsei. We can say Kyunsei, Kyunsei, that's probably right. Kyunsei. And then let me check. Okay. Moonguang, real quick. Moonguang. So the G's kind of take a K sound, in all honesty. Moonguang. Okay. When the parks leave on a camping trip, Moonguang appears abruptly at the door, telling Chung Suk that she left something in the basement. She enters the hidden entrance to an underground bunker that was created by the original architect where her husband, Yinsei, has been secretly living for over four years. Oh. Horrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. Bad. Chung Suk refuses Moon Kwang's pleas to help her husband remain in the bunker, but the eavesdropping Kims accidentally reveal themselves. Moon Kwang then films the family on her phone and threatens to expose their ruse to the parks. Oh, a severe rainstorm brings the parks home early and the Gims trap Kyunsei and Moon Kwang in the bunker. Mrs. Park reveals to Chung Suk that Da Song had a seizure-inducing traumatic experience on a previous birthday when he saw a ghost emerging from the basement at night. Before the Kims manage to sneak out of the house, they hear Mr. Park's offhand comments about Kitek's smell. The Kims find their apartment flooded with sewer water as a result of the severe rainstorm and are forced to shelter in a gymnasium with several other displaced people. 
The next day, Mrs. Park hosts a house party for Da Song's birthday with the Kim's help. Kiwoo enters the bunker with the Scholar's Rock, which Z and I both are, to fight Ginsei. He is attacked by the deranged Ginsei, who bludgeons his head with a rock and escapes, leaving Kiwoo lying in a pool of blood at the entrance to the basement. Ginsei stabs Kijong with a kitchen knife in front of horrified party guests. Dasong ends up suffering another seizure upon seeing Ginsei again, and a struggle breaks out until Chung Suk fatally impairs Ginsei with a barbecue skewer. While Kitek tends to the severely bleeding Kijong, Mr. Park orders Kitek to drive Dasong to the hospital. And in all the chaos, Kitek, upon seeing Mr. Park's disgusted reaction, to his smell, angrily kills him with a knife. Kitek then flees the scene, leaving the rest of the Kim family behind. Weeks later, Kiwoo is recovering from brain surgery. He and Chung Suk are convicted of fraud and put on probation. Ki Jung is revealed to have died from her injuries, and Kitek, wanted by the police for Mr. Park's murder, cannot be found. Kyunsei has been assumed to be an insane homeless man, and neither his nor Kitek's motives for the stabbings are known. Kiwoo spies on the park's home and sees a message in Morse code from a flickering light. Kitek, who escaped into the bunker via the garage and now raids the kitchen at night and sends the message every day, hopes that Kiwoo will see it. Still living in their original semi-basement apartment with his mother, Kiwoo writes a letter to Kitek, vowing to earn enough money to one day purchase the house and reunite with his father. Well, I hate the ending. (laughs) Um, yeah it's so bittersweet it's not even bittersweet after reading the script it's like it's just bitter yeah i will i will read the ending to you but it's absolutely brutal i was like i remember the first time watching this movie just watching the ending like just made me sob you know just made me like break out in tears because i knew like it was never gonna happen it's just a dream yeah, no, 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 because, yeah. okay, we're going to... Oh, we're, we're going to go, read, okay. We're going to read the ending. So, uh, external hill late in the evening. Cold, windy, the sun is dropping fast. Kiwu is on the mountain again looking through the telescope. He puts it down and looks into the distance. Kiwu voiceover. But I have a problem, father. I have no idea how to get this letter to you. We see the park mansion fire away, surrounded by countless other mansions. Lights turn on and off across the neighborhood. It's as if the houses are trying to talk to us. Kiwu's nose is bright red from the cold, his eyes brim with tears. Sharp wind cuts up his breath as soon as it mists in the air. As the wind continues to howl, fade to black. Over black, music plays, bright but with an undertone of hopelessness. The end. Oh my god, what the fuck, Bong Joon-ho? Yeah, like it's it's written very much like yeah 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 like it's, it's just a dream like, yeah yeah that he has you you're never gonna get it oh, sorry it's so sad yeah um I'm kind of jumping into it a little bit but uh there was apparently the interview that um the director Bung Jun Ho did where he said that it would essentially take Kiwu more than five hundred and sixty years to save up enough money to buy that yeah. house yeah on yeah. the current wage that he was at yeah which is so fucking depressing yeah no i think mm-hmm. i like actually uh watched a report on like uh south korea's they're called like chables mm-hmm. like uh 
wealthy companies and how the companies like influence the government and all the like you know wealth inequality that comes of that so I think you know this commentary is very <laughs> very pointed mm-hmm. not just in yeah. Cor- South Korea as well and, that's uh, true that's true yeah. but it's like a pretty like extreme example over there mm-hmm. if you look at how the the society appears to be at least according to this one report so yeah interesting yeah I know I've heard several reports or even several personal stories from my own family whenever they go back to to visit um, the rest of our family members in Mexico about just how wide the wealth gap is yeah and how yeah. visible it is as well in the cities yeah yeah that was Fun a super times. depressing note. <laughs> and that's why we're talking about this movie, because it's fucking horrifying. The reality is fucking horrifying. Yay. And now for a quick break. And we're back. And it's only going to get more depressing. Yay. <laughs> So my major reaction to this film was actually like how absurd the script is. Because when I was watching it, Mm -hmm. and I watched this back in like 2019, it didn't feel that absurd. But when I read the script, I was like, holy crap, this is insane. This is like, this is like next level, how quickly things accelerate, like how Mm -hmm. quickly the Kim's managed to infiltrate the Park household, how quickly just Moon Kwang and uh, manages to film them, and then suddenly how quickly it all comes crashing down. It was so fast in the script, and I remember it didn't feel that fast when I was watching it. It kind of felt like, oh, this is natural, but reading it made me go, oh, this is absurd. <laughs> just boom, boom, boom. I did think it was very high-paced. It's not as anxiety-inducing as Everything Everywhere All at Once was. What? I This... Uh, this uh, is wait. i have seen uh, everything everywhere all at once yeah. three times now three this times. is i could barely read the script for this Damn. like i didn't even watch this because reading the script gave me severe anxiety just reading this damn how did you beat me i think for everything everywhere all at once it was intentionally supposed to be anxiety inducing in the beginning and then it just becomes very intentionally overwhelming but for this film it's just fast-paced misery building in the story so it's like a different experience but i would say they're both they're both a lot to deal with i mean they're both anxiety inducing but i mean i okay fine i've gone to everything everywhere all at once three times now and every time i go i just start laughing more and more at the beginning (laughs) i know it's even more fun yeah yeah like because you know i know that it's gonna get better but with this one as i was reading it i was like everyone's gonna die yeah it's gonna be really sad honestly you know yeah like even when like i was trying to plan out like what would be a good time to watch this movie i kept pushing it back and my partner who was like hey like why do you want to watch it i was like dude it's depressing as fuck what do you mean why don't i want to watch it there is no happy resolution to this film it's just super depressing for all parties because that's the point of the film it's supposed to be depressing no absolutely I mean I I did think that there was like you know a point through which you're like oh the whole family's gonna get rich Mm. and they're gonna get good jobs and they're gonna do well and I do think that like you know it's fun so like it does have that going for it but then like the 
once you hit like the second half when like Mm -hmm. you know the housekeeper shows up everything just kind of goes into the garbage fire yeah I will say my my favorite part of the film is very much the beginning because I love seeing just how smart how manipulative how careful at planning and how thoughtful all the Kims are um and I love seeing them slowly infiltrate infiltrate the parks family just because it's a good show of like the fact that there's this family they all have their you know their strengths they're all able to trick and manipulate their way to the top they're clearly able to be successful but they can't be because of their social standing so I I love seeing them like infiltrate the park family and sort of be a part of that that whole group and, and in a way, in my mind, they have they're of an equal standing to the Park family. I see. I I didn't think of it that far. Like I agree that you know they were very like smart, and I thought it was fun to see mm-hmm. the different like creative ways that they they came up with. I really enjoyed because I think Mrs. Park or her name's Yong Kyo. Mm-hmm. She's written like she's acted in one way in the movie and I'm not sure how intensely it comes across but she's written as this like very ditzy character oh, yeah. and like yeah. yeah but like it's it's just even more in the script the way that she's written and so it's like <laughs> it is really really fun to see the Kims like slowly think of ways to mess with her <laughs> it is so much fun and like I remember the first time watching this film because I watched it back in 2019 as well like when it was in mm-hmm. theaters and I remember, mm-hmm. like, early on, her character is described as being simple. And they mm-hmm. literally say the word, like, simple. like simple. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like, oh, like, that's kind of mean. But then the more that you see her interact with the characters, it's like, oh, no, they were, they were right. That, is, that was the kindest way to describe her. She is a very simple character, very well-meaning. But then again, as a... Uh, as the mom the matriarch of the family ends up saying she's well-meaning because she has a lot of money or a lot of times people tend to come off as well-meaning because they're afforded a lot of luxuries that the kids don't necessarily have yeah no and I think I mean specifically with Mrs. Park I think the I think the actress did an outstanding job of portraying absolutely the actress from Mrs. Park was like outstanding. Like you could tell she like is fully committed to everything that she's doing, <laughs> even if it's not necessarily the right thing to be doing. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. yeah. Like I think the first scene where we ever see Mrs. Park, that's when Kiwu is going to interview as a tutor. And we kind of see it from Kiwu's perspective, but the the housekeeper at the time, Mung Huang, she literally goes outside and she has to like slap her hands mm-hmm. to like wake up Mrs. Park because she's literally mm-hmm. just like knocked the fuck out outside at a table by herself. And then I think that's just a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful way of introducing her character and setting that up perfectly. Yeah, 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 yeah. She doesn't get slapped. Actually, Moon Kwong walks over and claps her hand loudly next to Yong Kyo's ears. Gotcha. Yong Kyo sucks her drool in and slowly raises her head. Gotcha. I meant to say uh, claps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 She My sucks her drool working. in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish we would have gotten like a better shot of that. Or like even just the way that she talks because Mrs. Park, Yong Kyo, she's like, excuse my bluntness, but I just don't see the point of hiring someone unless he's as utterly outstanding as Min Hyuk, you know? 
<laughs> yeah, she's so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Even when yeah. like she meets Jessica and like Jessica's asking about like, oh my god, I don't even remember what she's asking about, but Jessica's like talking to her about something. I think it was about the driver. And Mrs. Park is like, oh, oh, Jessica, Jessica, nice. No, 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 don't worry about that. Jessica, you're too nice. And it's just like, God damn it. <laughs> no, she says, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like she, mm-hmm. Jessica's like, uh, Young Kill's like, because after they've basically exposed the driver for, you know, apparently having sex in the backseat of the car. So that's how they have fired the driver. And Mrs. Park is like, you're so precious, Miss Jessica. So innocent. You still have a lot to learn about this world as Jessica pretends like oh what happened to the driver is something wrong I thought he was nice (laughs) god I love that no 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 another thing that I really wanted to highlight or draw attention to though and this is for both of the parks so both Mr. Park and Mrs. Park is that Mm -hmm. um they really want to sweep things under the rug Mm -hmm. you know they they just like you know, like, instead of, like, hiring through a legitimate service, they're like, oh, no, we're just going to hire whoever our people recommend, and whenever they're firing people, they're never saying, oh, you're fired because you're having sex in my car, or you're fired because you have tuberculosis. They're just like, yeah, you're just fired. That's it. You're just fired. Yeah, I think that's what's most indicative of what Mrs. Kim is referring to in terms of like money smoothing things over because when we first meet the Park family they seem pretty nice pretty open pretty ditzy and then as we're slowly exposed them a little bit more that's when we start realizing like oh this family is highly reliant on other people to clean for them to cook for them to raise their own children And they can't enjoy their nice lifestyle without the quiet servitude of others. And I I do agree with you. Like, it's it's very upsetting just to see how easily they're able to replace their entire previous staff with just a simple Mm. excuse. Yeah, or I mean, not just like, okay, because I I really didn't like see it that way. And now that you've described it as how the parks, or I guess in Korean, they'd be the parks, but... Anyway, how they are um, Noted. <laughs> reliant on other people. Mm-hmm. That's actually, no, that's actually a really good point. Because I was talking more about like how they are reliant on other people, but they also have this image to preserve. Mm-hmm. So that's why they're firing people for no particular reason. They're just like, oh, eh, mm-hmm. it's not working anymore. Bye. <laughs> under the table, under the rug. None of our rich friends are going to find out about this. Mm-hmm. I think wanting to maintain that, image of class that ideal of class is even more sort of in a way directly mentioned by Mr. Park because Mm. he speaks to Mr. Kim Kitek about Mm. how the previous housekeeper always maintained that line and how she never passed that line in terms of whether that be professionalism or just silently doing whatever the Parks say but but he does mention that outright in the film and I do think that's very intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just like uh, Mr. Mr. Park, like there was that really interesting scene between him and Mr. Kim. Like it was like, you love your wife, right? That's why you're doing this. Oh, I wanted to talk about that. Ugh. Yeah, let me let me pull it off real quick. Oh, let me pull it God. And it's not just that. Like there's an initial scene when they're first meeting each other. And then there's an additional follow up during the birthday party where 
Mr. Kim tries to like make a joke about it where he's like oh you're doing this because you love your wife right and that's when Mr. Park is like just shut up and do your job I'm paying you extra yeah 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 okay um I'm reading this now so here's the first scene it's on page 53 I guess Mrs. Park will need to find a new housekeeper soon or the house will descend into chaos. I guarantee she won't be able to survive a week without one. Shambles, I tell you. My clothes will start smelling. Mrs. Park definitely wins the award for the worst homemaker. Doesn't know her way around a vacuum and her cooking is just abysmal. Kitek, but you still love her, don't you? Kitek's suddenly serious comment catches Dongik, who is uh, Mr. Park, off guard. Silence. Then Dongik starts laughing. Hard. Of course I love her. I don't know what else you'd call this, Kitek. Then maybe you should look at this. Kitek removes a business card from his pocket and hands it to Dongik. And this is, of course, the business card that will get uh, their mother hired in as their housekeeper. And then um, and then the next scene is uh, Kitek and Dongik are preparing for their little... Uh, party moment where they're gonna run in wearing these like Native American headdresses mm -hmm. and you know <laughs> all that fun stuff. Kitek, I guess Mrs. Park enjoys throwing parties. Dongik, I suppose she does. She puts a lot of effort into Dasong's birthday party this year. Kitek, how thoughtful of her and you too. Dongik senses a tone in Kitek's voice. Kitek, what can you do? I guess you love them, right? Kitek doesn't hide the sarcasm and Dongik notices. Tension rises between them. Dongik, Mr. Kim, you're technically working today, aren't you? Kitek, yes, sir. Dongik, then just think of this as part of the job. Mm. Dongik avoids Kitek's eyes as he puts another feather on Kitek's headband. Kitek, Mr. Park, I think you went over the line. Dongik, what did you say? Kitek, no, I mean this. Dongik sees that one of the feathers was pushed too far. The tip is poking out from the bottom of the headband. He still can't shake the feeling that Kitek was talking about a different line. The end. Mm -hmm. They cut yeah. off that line part in the movie. I think I would have preferred to have had that. Really? Yeah. I thought, I remember there was a line thing in the movie. I just remember the scene ending after Mr. Park is essentially saying, like, you're being paid to be here. So oh. shut the fuck up. And oh, no, you, suck you it could up. be. You could be right, actually. Yeah. I I watched it in 2019, so my memory is a little bit fuzzy. So you could be right. Yeah. We just finished talking about Mr. Park and crossing the line and mm -hmm. Mr. Kim and how I guess it's interesting that Mr. Kim like uh kind of stands up to Mr. Park, even oh, though you don't know whether call or not him he out. should. Hell yeah. yeah Fucking yeah. Call, yeah. call him out. Mr. Park is not as as revered as uh fucking Ginsei likes to treat him you know like Ginsei literally I mean Ginsei treats him like that in a sarcastic manner too did you read that from the script because I didn't get that from the movie what no, okay let's I didn't get that from let's the movie. go over Ginsei and then okay. we'll go back to Jessica okay. um okay, sure. let me, the, it's like it's the light scene yes it's when yeah. they discover the underground bunker and they're um down there and the Kim family sorry the park family is just about to arrive or has arrived at home okay here we go so interior mansion entrance night this is when um this is after uh things have been exposed so the the kims know that uh Kimse lives in the basement 
As Don Geek walks up from the garage, the lights above him blink one by one in sequence. That's when we realized the motion sensor lights we noticed throughout the film weren't motion sensor lights at all. It was Kyunsei's performance welcoming Don Geek home. Don Kyo, babe, have some shapaguri. I put some steak in. Don Geek shakes his head. No thanks, I'm going up to take a shower. Interior mansion, secret room night. Kyunsei sings a silly improvised song as he gleefully bangs the switches with his forehead. Singing, welcome back. What a hard day you must have had at work. Welcome back, Mr. Park. We love you so much. Mm-hmm. So did you take that to be sarcastic? Yeah. Oh, I took that to be like a very serious masochistic praisal of this man that Ginsei has elevated to like a godlike status because of his Why? wealth. Because we kind of see that within like society anyways, where like people will tend to revere billionaires like Musk or Bezos as being like these gods because of how rich they are, how successful they are, without really taking the time to understand how their actions have impacted other people and and the different effects that it has on on class and wealth structure in the States and and abroad, of course. I I guess you could see that uh, that way, but like, I don't know. Okay, so here's more of this description of a Kunsei turning on the lights. And it says, Kunsei, arms still tied, banging his head against a series of electrical switches on the wall. A truly bizarre sight. Kitek, what the hell are you doing? Kunsei, Mr. Park is home. This is my welcome home ritual. Above Kunsei, Kitek sees a tall open space, the hollow area beneath the garage stairs. We hear Dongik's footsteps heading up to the living room. Kunsei continues to bang on the switches. Mm-hmm. Kitek sees that the lines from the switches go all the way up to the entrance. Kunsei, what are you staring at? I do this every day. Yeah, I took that to be like a very serious commitment to praising Mr. Park because Ginsei was like literally tied, like hands behind his back and he was hitting his head against the lights so hard that he was bleeding. So I took that to be like a very serious situation. That's interesting. I just took it as like, you know, this is a man who lives in a basement. He literally has nothing better to do. I I think that's also a part of it. You know, like there mm-hmm. there is a part early on when we're introduced to Gunsei's character and that man has gone fucking crazy from being yeah. in the bunker. Like yeah. he literally says something along the lines of, I like I've been in this bunker for four years, blah, blah, blah years. I don't even know how long I could have been born in this bunker for all I know. So we know that, like, he has gone absolutely insane from being in that bunker Mm -hmm. and not having, you know, access to open air, clean air, and just being in hiding for, God, God, just four years. It's horrible. Yeah. No, I guess, I guess you could take it either way. Yeah. For me, it's more just like, oh, welcome home, Mr. Park. We love you so much. You know, like, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, he's great. (laughs) oh yeah park is perfect yeah yeah Yeah. like that's that's kind of how i took it and then like even at the end when like uh what's his face kimsei comes out to like stab kijong he doesn't like i mean he's not like oh my god mr park you're so cool you know he comes out he stabs kijong and then he gets stabbed basically right he does yell out respect which Mm -hmm. he also yelled out previously when he was like first banging his head and when we first see him oh we can essential or at least I inferred from that the fact that he has a lot of respect for Mr. Park and he decided to stab Ki Jung not only like vengeance for his wife but as a respect for him 
Let me see if I can find that um, in the script. Yeah. I don't see it right now. Ooh, if it wasn't in the script, I hope that the actor improvised it. That would have been so fun. Let me check because I remember seeing it in the script. So maybe oh, okay. I just like about a saying okay. respect before he stabs. I Kito. do. Yeah, I do remember something about that. Mm-hmm. Let me mm-hmm. let me look. Let me search for stab. Maybe I love that you're literally searching for stab. <laughs> so Kijong is walking. Kijong looks back to see Kunse running towards her with a kitchen knife. Kijong shoves the kick in Kunse's face just as he swings the knife, but a beat too late as the knife plunges into her chest. Kunse pulls the knife and blood plumes from Kijong's chest. It sprays all over the white cream, covering exactly half of Kunse's face. When Kijong falls, Dasong sees Kunse looming over him, dripping with Jessica's blood. The ghost. Dasong screams. A truly horrible scream. Louder and two octaves higher than the guests. His eyes roll back and he goes into a full-on seizure. We don't hear him scream in the movie, do we? I think he just passes out. No, I don't remember him screaming it. Okay, I think the music was coming oh, in, maybe. Oh, and that wasn't in the script. That's a fun what? improvised line. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. We yeah. hear Yong Kyo scream from far away in the crowd. Kunse pulls up key drum and puts the knife to her throat. He shouts to the guests. Don't move. Kitek and Dongyik are running from the trees when they stop at Kunse's voice. The chaotically fleeing guests also freeze in their track. A tense moment, a white butterfly flies over to Kunse and flutters its wing against its cake cover head. Kunse, Changsuk, where are you? Come out, you fucking bitch. Changsuk emerges from the crowd behind. Her oh. eyes are set on Kijong. Changsuk, Kijong, wake up. Kijong is bleeding profusely. She lets out a weak no, weak moan. Put pressure on the womb, Kijong. You have to stop the blood. Fighting, 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 fighting. <laughs> Even more fighting. Yeah. Okay. So then you're right. The line is improvised or it's not in this version of the script. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. Also, yeah. that whole thing of calling um, Chinsuk a bitch, that's also new. I, oh, really? Yeah. I don't think Kinsei called her that or Kinsei called her that. Oh. Yeah. I guess maybe. Yeah, because from what I remember about this scene, because I did go and rewatch it, it seemed more like, like, um, what's the word, like, like theatrical to me. Like I remember mm-hmm. the music kind of mm-hmm. like going, and I remember it being very much like the music kind of took over the atmosphere, which is possibly why they cut it. You know? Oh, maybe yeah. There's very yeah. notable music in this movie, which I also very much enjoyed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to listen to like the main theme, which is like the Belt of Trust or whatever on repeat. Oh, dude, that's awesome. I should do that. Yeah, yeah, because it's really nice to like work to and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gensei is a poor baby. He's he's, yeah, a, he's a mess. He's a mess. He's a mess. Yeah, that's a yeah, nice way yeah. of saying it. He's a mess. He's very much a mess. I do not know what else to call him aside from that. <laughs> yeah. And I will like even though I saw this movie back in 2019 when it came out. I was still like just as mortified slash unready to see uh, Kijong slash Jessica's death scene. Yeah, um, I mean, mm-hmm. I read an analysis on this back in 2019 that it had to be Jessica yes, that died had because to be Jessica yeah. was the most likely to morph into mm-hmm. a rich person. So it had to be her that died to reinforce the theme of hopelessness. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It, is a little bit foreshadowed when the camp family is getting drunk while the parks are out, you know, early mm-hmm. on in the camping expedition before the mm-hmm. thunderstorm happens. But um, 
Kibo essentially says something along the lines of like you fit in here Jessica yeah Jessica you could be mm-hmm. here yeah you could live here and then yeah. later before everything goes fucking crazy Kiwu mm-hmm. is asking Mr. Perk's daughter Dahai Dahye okay yeah sorry y'all I am <laughs> still struggling with my Korean names <laughs> I only know Mandarin names and that's fine but he asked her do I fit in here and mm-hmm. she's super confused she's like where the fuck is this coming from of course like duh also it's a high school kid so like what, what else was she gonna say yeah like, yeah yeah, yeah. what else would she say yeah oh uh, that's yeah so i know i do not know how to feel about that whole little relationship that happened in the film and i don't like it yeah i think i, hey, I don't like it yeah yeah, I mean, I think on one hand, you could take it to illustrate, like, oh, how, I guess, dysfunctional would be the word this okay. family is, I'll take that. you know, like, like just as that and not think too deeply about that. Because, I mean, Min Hyuk wanted to uh, propose to Dahyet too, mm-hmm. remember? Yeah. Like, half the reason he has um, Kiwu take over is because he's like, oh, I, I know you won't be attractive to her or whatever. <laughs> because you smell no i'm kidding um because you're gross and poor so i know you won't try to make a move on her right bro instantly instantly it makes a move on her like yeah yeah Yeah, but i mean i mean it could also be like a commentary on how like repressed uh uh young people are or at least in this case um dahia is or you could take it literally as like an imbalance of power and how bad that is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. during the whole movie, the whole like general vibe that I got from Dahia, Dahia, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep fucking it up. Um, yeah. Please know no that I'm worries. trying. But the whole vibe that I got from her is that she basically feels like the black sheep of the family. And there's so much focus and emphasis on that song and like how he's yeah. doing. And yeah. like, there's even this little like hissy fit, like a little temper tantrum that she throws when they come back from the camping trip and her mom doesn't offer her the, oh my God, it was a chapagetti. Chapagudi. Yeah. Yeah. Chapagudi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Her mom doesn't offer her the chapagudi and she's like, mom, why did you ask dad and not me and just eat it yourself? Yeah. Like what the fuck mom? <laughs> Don't you think I wanted some? And just like, yeah. God damn it, you were such a fucking high school kid. Like, uh. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was like, I felt like it wasn't like completely unfair because oh, no. it does seem like that song gets like yeah, yeah. a lot of the attention. So like that is just like, uh, sad. But yeah. Yeah. So she just needed attention. And guess what? Kiwu paid attention to her. And now we're here. <laughs> Kiwu was paid to be there. And yeah. now we're here now um, everyone's dead and we're here oh also sino okay so mm-hmm. the scene when everything like goes fucking crazy at like mm-hmm. after jessica gets stabbed and and kinsei gets mm-hmm. stabbed and like blah, blah blah and we see uh fucking dahye run out with kiwu mm-hmm. on her back and he's yeah, like yeah. slumped like even even like re-watching the film i was like what the fuck like how did you carry him that is a grown man he was very skinny he's starving (laughs) it was it was like it was shocking to me because he's like at least a foot taller than her it was shocking i mean i agree i remember when i saw that it was like oh my god i guess that's how kiwu makes it out alive but like yeah 
Oh, that was like the one brief like comedic relief that I got in the end, and during then it was that just whole straight scene. fucking depressing, like just yeah, sad. That whole yeah, scene. yeah, yeah, yeah. There was nothing else happy in the end. God damn it. Yeah, we've touched on Kiwu, we've touched on Dongik, we've touched on uh, Mrs. Park, we've touched on Kijang. Um, who else sticks out to you? I feel like there's just a lot to talk about like we can we could definitely like focus on the symbolism of the film just because it's so fucking prevalent yeah let's do that yeah so like to start off we have very obvious class symbolism in terms of how these characters are living so you know we have the most prosperous family the park family they live in this beautiful above ground super well-made community gated isolated community yep yeah 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 Yeah. and like the first time that we see any member of the park family they're just instantly bathed in sunlight and they have like this beautiful sheen to them yes yes whereas when we're introduced to the kim family and their semi-basement the first shot that we get is a view of their their socks that are hanging yeah. and drying. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just such a stark difference between them. And when you think that it couldn't possibly get worse within this mm-hmm. class structure, that's yeah. when we're introduced to the bunker. And that's when we meet Kinsei, who has been trapped down there with no sunlight, barely any food, and I don't even know if he has running water. Like, I think he also needs to get access to water. Yeah, he has to, like, run upstairs yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's... Okay, so the first thing I will point yeah. out is that the the sock scene is not in the script. Oh, really? The sock scene, huh. I think they must have just, like, worked with it. And they were like, oh, this is cool. Let's put the socks in. Yeah. Ew, okay. Yeah, which was a good call on their part. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think you definitely thought more about the symbolism than I did. I just thought about how sad I was for everybody. But um, <laughs> I know. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I do. I do agree with you in that, like, that's a really interesting way of looking at it, too. Like you have your like rich people sunlight, you have your semi basement apartment and like you get a little bit of sunlight, but not really enough. And then you have your basement like bunker dweller yeah and it's just super fucking depressing yeah um so yeah really good physical representation of class i kind of wonder if like they left the socks in the opening scene as well as like a foreshadowing of the whole like smell discourse that exists between the parks and the chems oh you know how like yeah the parks are constantly talking about how the kims essentially smell poor that's essentially yeah. what they're saying because yeah. they're saying something along the lines of they smell like they take the subway and then that's immediately followed up by mrs park being like oh i can't remember the last time that i took the subway and it's just like you fucking rich bitch okay thank you thank you for that so i think that might be like a precursor to that more class dynamic yeah 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 yeah. no and I think as I guess like normal people we don't think about that as much so they're really trying to demonstrate how far removed the Mm -hmm. the parks are from society yeah yeah honestly like (laughs) I've taken public transportation so many times I've never noticed like a subway smell or like 
I'll pause. I mean, you've never that. taken Korean public transportation. Oh, that's fair. Maybe, maybe it's like unique to them, but I'm sure we have our subway smells too. I mean, the smelly subway I can think of is in New York. That is just straight that's stinky. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. And coming from someone who's like ridden in like the the fucking metro in Mexico City, like the one in New York is stinky. Okay. Good to know. Good yeah. to know. Yeah, really fun um, physical class dynamics that are represented there. And then we also have our absolute favorite and what we both are for this episode, the Scholar Rock. (laughs) Yeah, so when we're first introduced to the Scholar Rock, um, Kiwu's friend says that it's meant to bring prosperity Mm. and that it was meant to be a gift to them from their grandfather, I believe and Kiwu immediately takes to it and he's like oh my god like thank you so much it's so metaphorical blah 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 Mm -hmm. and throughout the film we see Kiwu continuing to cling to the scholar rock so essentially continuing to cling to this idea of wealth and prosperity there's even a scene where their family home the semi-basement gets flooded and they Mm -hmm. lose I'm assuming most everything within yeah 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 you know it's it's a very tragic experience and very disheartening situation to watch but one of the few things that they end up rescuing from their flooded apartment is a stupid fucking scholar rock because we continue Mm. to see kiwu clinging on to the idea that you know maybe one day he'll get lucky and get rich or go to school and get rich and it's not until the very end when he loses literally everything. You know, he's, and he's had, stabbed in the yeah. head with a scholar. Yeah, like he's literally hit in the head with a fucking rock. And it's not until he has like traumatic brain surgery, loses his sister, and then his dad's trapped in the home that he finally ends up laying this stupid fucking rock to rest in a yeah. nearby creek or a river. They don't really show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so beautiful symbolism a lot of people consider the scholar rock to be cursed but i don't i don't know what do do you think z i do not think it's cursed oh yeah because you know he's hugging the rock and then he plops the rock Mm -hmm. and i wouldn't say it's cursed i would just say that it's like this idea of wealth is fake right yeah yeah you know like this idea of like a social mobility which he thinks that the rock will bring to him is not real Mm mm-hmm at least in his case. <laughs> yeah, I think it's definitely like the movie does a good way of showing that the rock is just meant to represent a dream. And in the type of class structure that they live in, that's sort of, you know, the society structure that they live in, in some ways it's more detrimental to cling on to that dream. And that's when we see him physically getting hit and bashed in the head by the rock and it's it's basically like his dream confronting reality and and just vanishing and and hurting him yeah like this was supposed to bring him joy and happiness and a new life and instead it just brings him traumatic brain injury yeah like he oh my god Yeah. yeah it's so sad like he can't even stop laughing as a result from his injury while he's with his mother visiting his sister's urn after she's been cremated and it's just so yeah. like so fucking yikes depressing. yikes yeah yikes 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 i'm sorry okay. i feel like i'm like sapping all that happiness because this film is so sad i mean you you are but like we're here to discuss it because we both liked it right so so 
Uh, it is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, who do you think is the true parasite of this movie? Oh, I was oh, going to oh. ask you that. Okay. Well, we're asking each other now, so you can you can go, you first. Want me to go first. Yes. Yeah. So I'll go. <laughs> I'll go into my long explanation. I'm sorry, I don't have a short okay. answer for this. Or actually, okay, maybe mine will be short. Okay, you can. Go I'll first, do mine 100%. first. Mine is like yeah. kind of basic. I think they're all parasites. Like obviously, you're right in that the parks live off of the labor of other people, but then like the the Kims are also living off of the park's money. So it's like one is a parasite in terms of taking money if money were nutrients and the other is a parasite in terms of taking labor if labor were nutrients and the guy in the basement is also a parasite because he kind of just lives in the dark and hides there so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I mean that's a very short and sweet version of what I was gonna say I think the director does a really good job at making you think that the Kims are the parasites very early on in the film when they're first infiltrating the family because yeah that's literally what parasites do they're supposed you know they they survive by infiltrating the the spaces the the lives of other animals or humans or whatever it may yeah be. and taking their nutrients yeah, and, yeah. And taking their nutrients yeah. but then as the film progresses and we see the park family just be completely ignorant to mm-hmm. those that are beneath them you know like after the flooding happens and the Kim family loses everything, that's mm-hmm. when Mrs. Park throws a surprise party and she's like, oh, hey, like, you'll be there, right, Kiwoo? You'll be there, right, Jessica? You'll be there, right, Mr. Driver? There's nothing wrong that happened in your life and you can just drop everything at a, a fucking snap of my finger and be there for me. Thank you. So I, I think it, the film does a really good job at showing the fact that they're all parasites because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, this isn't a sustainable class structure. So everyone is fucking leeching off of everyone else because that's the best they can do. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a good way of summarizing it. I definitely think that, you know, they're, everyone's a parasite in their own way mm-hmm. at the end of the day. I mean, I kind of do wish they'd like bother saying, oh, our house flooded. So we're having a hard time. I know. Right right yeah like like you you do you do feel like like that's also something that's missing there like sure Mr. Park seems to have his lines that won't be crossed but like I mean you already tricked Yongkyo into thinking that her housekeeper had tuberculosis how hard would it be to trick her into thinking that like my house really did flood and that's why I'm like Mm -hmm. like in trouble and like you feel like it'd be easy enough to take advantage of her and have her give you more money or just to buy clothes or something, you know? Yeah. Part of me wonders if they, if the family thought that it would be difficult to share that with their employer because of the high standards that the parks have for their employees or for their staff, you know? That's true. It could, it could be possible. Like it does seem like um, Mr. Park wants like this very impersonal kind of yes. relationship yeah yes. yeah but I, I just I feel like there was some wiggle room with Mrs. Park that mm-hmm. although true she she also might have told her husband and her husband might have been like well we can't have a housekeeper whose house got flooded let's fire her yeah or or they might or they might even go to an extreme and be like oh we'll just move in with us permanently then and you know barely see your fucking family outside of this you don't need to see your family yeah, true, just live with true. Us. I guess yeah, true. I guess, like, there was, I wish there had been some, like, attempt to show that this wouldn't work, like, mm-hmm. this, you know, like, trying to connect to, like, 
the parks on a more human level outside of what happened between the two dads. But I guess there are reasons for why it could couldn't happen. And it could also be like a cultural thing too that maybe we don't get. Yeah, I, that's what I'm thinking might be like a, a cultural mm-hmm. class dynamic there. But yeah, just going back to you were saying, I do think that it would have been easier for Mrs. Park to be understanding. But I yeah. think from, I mean, based on what we've seen from Mr. Park, I I think it's a little bit harder for him to actually view his staff as human beings. That's true. You're right. Towards them as people. Yeah. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Which just goes into the, the whole idea of the Park family being very, you know, isolated from other people and their struggles and not really even being conscious about the fact that a whole bunch of neighborhoods fucking flooded and thousands of people were displaced from their homes yeah yeah i'm sorry i'm like taking a very like like angry like socialist perspective with this film because this film just makes me fucking angry i see i see yeah no i just i i thought it was like sad it was anxiety inducing everyone was gonna die and no one was gonna be happy but Mm -hmm. like you know it makes people think yeah I mean that's why I definitely agree like this is one of the best movies of this century 100% yes it's very thought-provoking it explores these very complicated dynamics it shows just how wonderful and smart and phenomenal the Kim family is and it shows the Park family as not being quite as perfect as other people view them or as they want to be viewed yeah yeah like it's a good it's 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 good in all of its symbolism it's not happy but it's good in all of its like both visual literal and figurative metaphors for the things that are happening within it yeah and I really like um Bang Ho's work he definitely has some fun horror movies where he plays around with a couple of different monsters yeah okay yeah I I was actually I actually know him as being the director of this movie called The Host, which is kind of like a it's monster a movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's a zombie movie or like it's, monsters? It's not a zombie movie. It's a monster oh, okay, movie. Okay. Um, okay, I'm thinking of a different one. Then. Yeah, yeah. I know. I feel like the like there's three different movies I can think of that are all named The Host. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, no, he also plays around with the, the horror genre that I wouldn't mind oh. exploring. Yeah. Yeah, I will say though, I think because mm-hmm. Parasite won so many awards, I was able to read the English script for it. But I think it will be harder and harder for us to get English script of the Bong Joon Ho stuff yeah. as we continue. Yeah, yeah. that's a bummer. Yeah. He's a yeah. really talented filmmaker. All right. Well, any yeah. last thoughts, see? Uh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah no no other last thoughts all right no more thoughts all out of thoughts I think I have also ranted as much as I possibly could about this film yeah I got it out I got it out Thank mm-hmm. you so much, everyone, for listening to the Spooky Corner. If you want to follow us on Instagram, that's the underscore spooky underscore corner. If you want to send us an email, you can contact us at spookycornerpodcast at gmail.com. That's spookycornerpodcast at gmail.com. We will see you next time. Bye, y'all. I did have one more thought to share, and I'm mad. Oh, well, you can share it now. I'll splice it back in. What is it? You sure? Bonus thought. Bonus thought. Go, Bonus go, go. thought. Okay. So this might be me reading into it. 
also my laptop's gonna die but Mm -hmm. I did think that it was interesting that Da Song is absolutely obsessed with Native Americans oh yeah yeah, yes and I kind of took that and this might be me reading way too much into it like I was saying I kind of took that as how oftentimes we'll see rich people cosplaying as folks of a lower um, social economic status mm-hmm. just because you know Native Americans have historically been a very disadvantaged group in the U.S. Mm-hmm. They faced mm-hmm. genocide and a bunch of other unnamed uh, horrible discrimination acts and I just thought it was interesting that that's what they chose the son to be obsessed with you know like a lot of times we see rich people and they'll dress down essentially Mm. just to try to not look rich or or try to blend in and hide their wealth and I kind of I kind of took it as as being like a play to that it's it's possible there is something there I didn't really get it I just thought it was like well, I mean, I thought it was like, you know, these rich people, I did take it as dressing up, like in the sense like, oh, yeah. these rich people are having this cute little Native American attack party where nothing's going to happen and mm-hmm. and there's going to be cake instead. And yeah, so I did take it as that. But I think you're right in that there could be some like underlying message about that too. Yeah, because they even go as far as to talk about how like, like Mr. Kim and Mr. Park would attack the party and then Da Song would jump in and be the quote-unquote good Indian that stops them mm-hmm. and saves Jessica. And there's yeah. just so much to unpack in that. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, you could just be like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a bunch of rich people messing about and trying to give their son a good time. But then, yeah, you are right in that you could read deeper into that, which I did not think about doing. So now I will think about it. All right. There's just so much. Um, there's just so much history there that yeah. I was like, oh, this is a lot to unpack and talk about. Wonderful. Woo. Okay. Goodbye for real now. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.